Welcome to Trade Finance Talks, a podcast from Trade Finance Global. During this series, we'll be hearing from global experts, as well as learning about the latest trends, technology and insights in the world of international trade and receivables finance. Episode 120. We were very active in last years, so we financed many different transactions in many markets. For example, we were very active in African countries. Hello and welcome to Trade Finance Talks. My name is Dipesh Patel, editor at Trade Finance Global. Today, we're diving into the world of structured trade and export finance, a cog in the global trade engine facilitating billions of dollars in transactions and really enabling businesses to navigate the complexities of international markets. Joining us today is Francesca Biomonte, Structured Trade and Export Finance at Unicredit, one of Europe's largest financial institutions. Francesca brings a wealth of experience and insights from her role at Unicredit. According to the OECD, export credits extended by its members amounted to some 162 billion US dollars in 2020, underscoring the pivotal role of export credit agencies or ECAs supporting international trade. And of course, banks like Unicredit play a significant part in this ecosystem. This ecosystem is vital to supporting new initiatives in international trade as well. In 2023, OECD members agreed to expand ECA support for climate-friendly projects under the Climate Change Sector Understanding, or CSU. package provides more generous and more flexible financing terms and conditions for all projects eligible under CCSU. So in our conversation today, we're going to explore the symbiotic relationship between ECAs and private sector export finance companies. And we're also going to delve into real-world examples of export finance projects, as well as the role of banks in collaborating with OECD ECAs, including the hurdles that companies face when accessing export finance in risky jurisdictions. Finally, we'll look ahead at the trends shaping the future of export finance. Francesca, welcome to Trade Finance Talks. Hello, thank you. Absolutely. Really happy to have you on the show. So quick introduction. Who are you? Where are you from? And what do you do? My name is, uh, as you said, Francesca Beaumonte, and uh, I started my career many, many years ago before working in uh, corporates and then uh, moving in the banking industry. I cover within the banking different areas like corporate lending, trade finance, export finance. I became uh, in September 2019 uh, Global Head of Structural Trade and Export Finance within uh, Unicredit. And uh, very recently, I slightly changed my mission and I be Export Credit Agency Senior Originator within Unicredit. Thank you very much. So just the person to answer the next question, can you provide a bit of an overview to our listeners and how export credit agencies, ECAs and private sector export finance companies work? Just let me say something about uh, the export credit agencies. You know, they are uh, additionally supporting uh, industrial infrastructure investments in emerging countries. So this was the original uh, scope of work of uh, the export credit agencies. Range of investments they are supporting is uh, very, very large because we are speaking about, as I said, the infrastructure, uh, hospital, water treatment, um, equipment, machinery, etc., etc. And there is uh, one feature which 
which is common on all these projects, and is the fact that uh, we are always speaking about projects with a longer period of time to be implemented. So construction delivery is really not lower than two, three years. And then also the repayments are uh, quite long. The expert credit agency are working on behalf of uh, the government. As people, uh, they can have uh, different forms because uh, they can have the agency working on behalf of the government, like a public company, etc. So there are different schemes depending on the specific countries. As I was in, they are supporting the national economy to go abroad, to export abroad. ACA words, there are also some strict rules. So you have to follow some mandatory requirements as, for example, the down payment. And in this respect, there is very often a combination together with the so-called private risk insurance, so the PRIs, because they can be complementary, in the sense that PRIs can finance local cost or, as I said, down payment. Something that I think it's important to underline is that wise up to a few years ago, ECA were considered as a kind of lender of last resort, stepping in only when private sector financing was not available. In these uh, last years, uh, ECAs uh, have taken a greater role because uh, we are providing support in many different uh, sectors. So I think uh, the everyone is aware about the fact that in many countries, European countries, ECAs played a key role during the years of the COVID, supporting the local economy. And now they are becoming uh, key players in the energy transition. So they are financing, they are supporting still the national economy in projects, energy transition, etc. Thank you very much, Francesca. So to summarize, the role of the ECAs is to support the national economy to grow abroad, abiding by fairly strict rules around payment terms and cooperation with what the PRI, the private risk insurance company is doing locally. But obviously, that support has now changed in terms of their mandate to be particularly in and around the energy transition. What about companies, banks like Unicredit, who offer support or export finance? How does that complement what the ECAs offer, particularly around operating in high-risk jurisdictions and markets. We were saying before, ECAs very often are operating just providing guarantees. So in some cases, they are also providing direct funding and they have vehicles that can be used to finance the transaction. The majority of the cases, ECAs are just providing insurance coverage guarantee, which means that there must be someone who is doing the lending. And these are exactly the best. So a bank as our bank, its main mission is to support clients. So that's why together with the ECAs that we are working with almost all the most important European, but not only ECAs, we are trying to finalize solutions to support our clients in our core markets to export abroad or support them in the green projects and transition projects, etc. 
You mentioned earlier as well that the financing tends to be ten, i.e. to five, say, years, particularly in the construction sector or maybe infrastructure or energy structure. Can you share any examples of successful export finance projects that Unicredit has been involved in and where companies were able to navigate in some of those challenging jurisdictions with the help of that ECA guarantee? Of course, uh, we were very active in last years. So we financed many different transactions in many markets. For example, we were very active in African countries. We were mainly focused, of course, also on uh, social projects like, uh, for example, hospitals. We finance a certain number of uh, hospital and other social infrastructures. But of course, we did also other kind of projects. So just to mention, uh, concrete uh, case, I can mention some couple of projects uh, which are well known because they also got awards uh, uh, for 2022. One is the Green Line, which is a railway project uh, in Egypt. So in principle, is uh, the first of uh, a certain number of lines that should uh, enhance the train transportation in a large country. Or uh, the Metro of Abidjan in Ivory Coast, uh, which is a project uh, which has been finalized is just before the end of 2022 and uh, which is the, the metro project the capital of Ivory Coast. Actually, in these two projects, because as I said, they are uh, public knowledge, I can uh, disclose uh, them. We are speaking about large projects involving other, also other banks. But it's important to mention that uh, we are not working only on large projects. We are also working on bilateral projects, small, medium-sized projects. So we are trying really to support the entire range of uh, our clients' basis. Can you give a bit more detail on the Green Line, the railway project in Egypt? So who were the banks? Who was the ECA? What were the financing products that were actually used? And how did it benefit local corporates who were doing the project overseas? In the Green Line, there are a number of uh, banks including um, several uh, national banks, speaking about Euler Hermes, and uh, because uh, the construction company, so the exporter is... Uh, to be honest, in the Green Line, there are two different facilities. There is uh, one Euler facility in a such a facility because uh, there are also some uh, Italian uh, components. As you can imagine, in a country like uh, the railway represents really a unique opportunity because, uh, let's say, I don't know if you have been uh, to in Cairo, but uh, let's say the level of traffic is really impressive. And uh, we are speaking about a country of more than 100 million of people, which uh, there is, um, I don't know exactly, 15, 20 million being in Cairo. So I I think the infrastructure system is really important to support the mobility of the people and also, of course, then the possibility to develop business, etc. So it is a very important project. As I said, Egypt just started with these infrastructure projects. They already did the previous year the monorail. This is the green line. Then there will be other two projects which are called red and blue line. The number of banks is very large. It's involving all the most important players. Thank you, Francesca. Really good example there. And you can see why, why the ECA involvement was needed. I guess with your involvement within the European Banking Federation, how can 
banks continue to collaborate with export credit agencies around the world? Thank you for this question. As you can imagine, uh, uh, banks is super important to collaborate uh, with uh, ECAs because uh, considering that we are speaking of uh, projects, we already saying at the beginning, uh, very long in terms of uh, tenor, very long in terms of uh, construction of the underlying uh, project, etc. The sense of the EA coverage uh, give uh, to the bankers also the possibility to relieve the capital utilization. This is uh, something very important. Of course, uh, as a chairman of uh, the export finance expert group uh, within uh, EBF, uh, we worked uh, quite a lot uh, in for the advocacy of uh, the regulatory topics, but also, of course, for the modernization of uh, the OECD, because uh, he is uh, ruling uh, the entire uh, framework of ECAs belonging to uh, OECD, and uh, there are uh, many rules and uh, we were uh, thinking, but I think uh, this now has been approved, uh, that a modernization uh, would have been uh, important uh, in order uh, to give uh, more flexibility, especially for uh, the green projects, uh, for the sustainable uh, projects. These uh, new stuff uh, rules uh, will become effective uh, in July 15, and uh, I think it was um, a very good uh, cooperation among uh, all the stakeholders of uh, the export finance industry, and a good uh, result uh, which has been achieved. Absolutely, it's quite the overhaul. Can you go into a little bit more detail around the actual modernization of those rules, the impact that it will have on real economy and also on OECD ECAs in terms of their mandates? The modernization of the ICD coming to force uh, on uh, July 15. This is really a great achievement because it's something that uh, was under discussion uh, since uh, some time. But uh, finally, I guess that uh, all the participants of OECD realized that it was really needed uh, to modernize something that uh, in any case is there uh, since uh, 50 years almost. And uh, so uh, what are the most important uh, news, we can say that uh, there will be longer repayments, goods and services. Um, the repayments should be consistent, uh, let's say like this, uh, with use life of the goods or of the investment. And there will be also a more flexibility, the financial structure of the transactions, which means that in terms of uh, capital repayment, uh, interest repayments, uh, you can have a frequency, a different size, etc. etc. These longer Payment terms and financial structure and flexibility will be available for a broader range of climate-friendly transactions. So, there is the ESG target, a driver of this important modernization. Maybe we can also mention that, for example, OECD has established that coal-fired power plant will not be anymore eligible for ECA financing. We are really going into the direction to support mainly uh, sustainable projects. I guess this is all around leveling the playing field, supporting the transition. Of course, we could spend an entire podcast talking about supporting the transition away from coal, and, and I'm sure it's a lot more getting a nuance than that. But essentially, this is all around de-risking in business in certain jurisdictions due to inherent risk, be that geopolitical risk, 
currency risk, payment risk. Let's talk about it from a company's perspective or an exporter's perspective. What strategies or tools can exporters employ to really minimize the risks associated export finance in some of these more challenging jurisdictions? I think uh, this is a super important uh, question because as uh, you can imagine, uh, to work in uh, high-risk jurisdiction uh, is sometimes require a lot of uh, energy and I am referring especially to our clients to our exporters. As you can imagine, uh, usually there are negotiations with counterparts uh, that in some cases are very counterparts. So we are speaking about the ministry, ministry of finance, etc. And uh, sometimes uh, the commercial negotiation uh, can be really very, very long. Uh, I experienced a transaction where uh, the time to finalize a commercial contract was uh, longer than uh, near two years, uh, even three years. It's uh, very, very long. And um, then uh, I have to say not all the companies are really equipped to do this. Uh, sometimes uh, you need really people who knows very well uh, the area, who is uh, used to interact uh, with uh, a ministry in the African countries or other uh, high-risk countries. There are also some uh, risks that need uh, to be covered uh, as, for example, uh, let's say risk related to the performance of the commercial contract. In this case, uh, for example, uh, companies uh, are sometimes using uh, either ECA or private risk insurance uh, to cover the performance risk, to cover the risk related to the fact that uh, the contract can be interrupted, uh, for example. Another risk uh, that uh, usually the exporters are uh, looking for is uh, the risk related uh, really to the usual uh, insurance risk, uh, I don't know, fire or uh, hat and so. There are also this kind of risk uh, which needs uh, to be covered. Why is uh, the export finance scheme itself uh, is covering the credit risk? So for the exporters, uh, the ECA buyer credit solution is a very good uh, solution because uh, they are getting uh, the money once uh, the works are progressing. In this respect, uh, I think uh, it's a good way to find finance this kind of project. But nevertheless, they have to take care of all the other risks related to the works and to the deliveries that they have. Thank you. And I guess final question, what trends do you foresee, Francesca, in the field of export finance as OECD rules change and we look to trying to support exporters operating in risky jurisdictions? We've briefly commented at the beginning, uh, export finance is in a certain sense enlarging quite a lot its uh, scope of work because usually and traditionally export finance was to support uh, infrastructure investments and capital goods in a risky jurisdiction, but now there are a lot of investments which are financed with export finance also in European countries. And this is exactly related to the fact that that are some kind of investments, for example, in the energy transition. If we think about wind farm investments, for example, that need really long tenor in terms of construction, in terms of repayment. And so the most favorite way to finance this kind of investments is exactly the export finance it can be corporate uh, financing, can be a project finance, it can be a structured transaction. We can say that uh, there are 
trends in the export finance. So the traditional export finance is still going ahead. Maybe there are differences in terms of geographical areas and the retransition, all the investments related to this are also a new frontier for the export finance. Francesca, thank you very much. It's been such a pleasure having you on Trade Finance Talks. I think some of the key take-homes from that is really to understand your risks, understand the transaction, and also understand how the key players in export finance, whether it's the private and insurance sector, the underwriters, the export credit agencies, the export finance banks operate. And in terms of risky business, there are lots of opportunities and also there are lots of opportunities to grow and support developing an emerging economy economies, providing the transaction is structured right. Francesca, thank you for joining me. Thank you to you to give me the possibility to participate to this interesting post. Many thanks. Thanks for listening to Trade Finance Talks. Be sure to subscribe to our podcasts at tradefinanceglobal.com.